Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I am Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And go get some merch. That's right. Go check out our brand new website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. And we want to answer your questions. As always, email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. Today, we're at season two, episode six, How Did I Get Here? Written by Carter Harris and directed by Jonas Pate. Here we go with the NBC synopsis. Landry comes clean to his father, forcing his dad to choose between being a father and a cop. And Tim has something to prove after he's kicked off the team. This is another great episode. But before we get into the highlights, we're going to answer a few fan questions. Our first question comes from Jade Owen. It's a three-parter. She asks, I've heard Derek mention home base. Where was that and how did that work? If there were multiple locations in one day to film at, what did that look like? Also, I'm going to Austin this summer and was wondering which Hyatt Derek copied his house decoration after. (laughs) The Hyatt that we're talking about was actually the Hyatt Regency on Barton Springs, and that's where... Pretty much all the guest stars stayed at the Hyatt Regency when we were shooting Friday Night Lights. So yeah, it was like a home away from home for me. It's also right on the bridge where the Mm -hmm. bats come out every night. So stay there. Brad Leland and I, I remember one night being really tipsy with Brad and we were out on the balcony hitting golf balls across the lake. Yeah, probably don't do that. Hey man, it's legal. You know, Derek, we can we can play golf where we want to. Now I'm going to get into it. In that yeah. river that you guys were shooting golf balls into, did you ever mm-hmm. see, I think they're called Nutria. They're yes. river rats, but their tails are oh, like yes. six feet long. They're amazing. I know what you're talking about, but I never saw any. Oh my God, they're huge. I feel like that's like a Brazilian, like South American thing. They're all over Texas. Yeah. So there was another question there. Home base. So base camp, I think. Yeah, probably what we're talking about is base camp. And on a film set, base camp is the central hub. Basically where all the trailers are for all the actors. It's where the second AD's trailer is. Hair and makeup. Wardrobe. All that stuff is located in one spot. And that's called base camp on a film set. Now, base camp changes day by day. We're like a moving traveling caravan. You know, there are 40, 50 buses, vans, trucks, trailers, and every single day we would move. And sometimes we would have multiple moves in a day. So we mm. start base camp, would be in one location, and base camp would totally move to another location later that day. I mean, it's crazy, guys, when you think about all the moving parts that goes into a television and film set. Because base camp, it's the hair and makeup trailer. It's the wardrobe trailer. It's all the actors' trailers. It's the second AD PA trailer. And then on top of it, there was usually crafty in base camp. If you ever drive around in a town that's shooting, you'll see yellow marker signs that they put Mm -hmm. up that like point you where to go. So Transpo has to put all of those up everywhere. Those Transpo guys work so hard on our show. And a lot of times in base camp, especially if you were shooting a scene where there were extras, you'd have to put up like an extras tent, which is a big, huge, like circus-sized tent because they don't have their own personal trailers. So a background actor has to have some place 
place that's covered though. So they'd put up a tent. It's a massive, massive undertaking to shoot a television show or a film for that matter. Especially on location too, because like when I was doing Bunheads, we shot on studio and I had a dressing room. So I had the same dressing room the whole time. Sometimes we would go shoot like in Malibu with a trailer, but it's very different having a trailer than to like a steady dressing room. And the trailers change from day to day. I mean, one day I'd have a trailer and the next day if I wasn't working, that trailer would be Taylor Kitsch's trailer. Yes. Yeah, so you take your stuff with you. Yeah. So you take your stuff out with you. So it's not like, I know when I worked on the soap operas, like you would have your own dressing room and that was your dressing room. And so especially actors who had been on those soap operas for years and years and years, they would have the whole entire thing decked out, painted and, you know, their yeah. own decor and their own sofas and furniture. And like on a film set where you're shooting on locations, unless you're a superstar megastar, most of the time you don't get to have that decorated trailer. The movies like to make it seem like that's what happens. You know what I mean? Not. But that's not really how it goes. Unless you're a big, big name. I mean, Harrison Ford, when I was doing 42, had his own trailer that was mm -hmm. separate from everyone else's with like a lawn out front. Oh, my. It was a pretty nice little setup. Sometimes they'll bring one that has just a gym in it, too. Mm -hmm. Anyway, second question comes from Rachel Balick, who says, here's my most pressing question, which is definitely how I ask it. Do you know anything about the look at my hair, look at my dog, look at my scooter song Tammy is singing after she returns from book club after Gracie is born? It seems so utterly random, except for the look at my hair, which obviously everyone should look at Tammy's hair. I remember watching that episode and thinking it was the most adorable thing I had seen Tammy do. And I forgot to look at it then, but I did Google it and I couldn't find much. But those specific words or like sayings or sayings that you learn when you're learning a new language. And I don't know if Tammy was either at her book club or in the car doing like a Duolingo or something and learning Spanish or French. And so that was like the song that came with it. The only thing I could find with those three specific sayings were in learning a new language. There was one time you made a director ask me to come in singing a song. I said? Yeah. Kyle was directing and you were like, make Stacey come in and just sing a song. And I didn't know that yeah. you had said it. I was like, oh, okay, Kyle. Probably. <laughs> Stacey has a beautiful voice and I was always trying to make Stacey sing. You tried to make me sing the national anthem at the I rodeo. I did. She wouldn't didn't do happen. it. Didn't happen. All right. Here's our third question which comes from Chrissy Simmons, who says, my son's name is Riggins, and I've had a bunch of people ask me if I have seen Friday Night Lights once they meet him. My question is, do you think Billy and Mindy were nervous to become parents? Neither one of them really have good parents to look up to, and Billy was always messing up. The answer to that question, yes, 100%. God, yes. The whole entire reason that Billy gets into the chop shop and does all that stuff is because Billy's afraid that he's not going to have enough money to pay for these children. He's not going to have enough money to take care of Mindy. So I feel like the whole reason he becomes a coach, if I'm not mistaken, is because of that. Billy's one of these guys, and and we talk about this often on the show, especially with the Riggins family, but a lot of the kids on this show, I feel like they've got good intentions, but they're always going about things the wrong way. It's like Billy's like, I need more money. I got to make money. I've got to take care of my family. I got to provide for my family, which in and of itself is a very noble pursuit. But the way Billy goes about it is stealing <laughs> copper wire or running an illegal chop shop. I think he was nervous as hell. And I think that's why he did what he did. I'm not excusing his actions, but I think they come from a good place. Do you remember when we found out that we were having twins the second time and I just broke down thinking like there's no way that this is going to happen? That was the, actually the episode that Kyle directed. I remember that. I remember he was giving me a specific note when we were reacting to you having the child. If I remember correctly, he's like, I want you to be more excited. And I'm like, don't you think he's more scared? And he's like, you don't have kids. And I said, no. And he goes, you can play that nervousness, but there also needs to be an excitement. 
I think I was probably playing a little too much of the nervousness and not enough of the excitement. And Mindy just doesn't really have a whole lot of emotions. So <laughs> she just sat. <laughs> also, I want to know, Chrissy says, my son's name is Riggins. And I've had a bunch of people ask if I watch Friday Night Lights once they meet him. And I want to know, is he named? Chrissy, write us back. Is he named after Tim Riggins? Because I know a lot of people that have named their kids Riggs and it's from Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And I'm like, well, close enough, but fine. The only person I know who named, it wasn't even a child that they named Billy Riggins. It was a friend of ours named their dog Billy Riggins. Yep, there is a Billy Riggins. We actually found out after we had Asha Davis on, a couple wrote us and said that they had named their daughter Waverly after her, which is like the highest of compliments. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think too many people are going to be naming their kids Billy Riggins. Or Stevie Hannibal Riggins. (laughs) Thank you guys for those questions and keep them coming. Let's get into the episode. start off, I think we finally have our first definitive age given. Street says, I'm turning 19, finally. Mm -hmm. So at least we know one of them. And I have to ask, your brother gave Street your pool cue for his birthday? Yes, he did. And I'm still pissed about it. Mm -hmm. I've always just assumed, though, that Billy is the type of guy who's good at all types of bar games, pool, darts, beer pong. Sports ball. Yeah. Cornhole, shuffleboard, (laughs) bowling, quarters, poker, flip cup, Jenga, air hockey, foosball, Mm skee-ball, big buck hunter, golden tee, all that kind of stuff. And I would imagine that Billy is the type of guy that probably owns his own darts. He owns his own pool cue, has his own bowling ball. I also think he probably gets pissed off about trivia night and refuses to go to the bar until it's over. Oh, he doesn't want to do trivia? No, he's not going to do trivia night. It pisses him off that like there's no music playing. I just have this picture in my head now that there was a scene, like who knows how old they were when Tim gave Street this pool cue, but maybe there was a time before that where there was a similar scene where you you smashed all of the beer bottles with your golf club. You probably did something similar with your yeah. pool cue. And <laughs> Riggs is like, probably st- giving a street. I don't know that he would have done it with his pool cue. I don't know that he would have given Big Bertha a whack. The pool cue is Big Bertha? <laughs> yes. Jesus. Has its own special velvet carrying case. You know he's got something real cheesy. I bet there's like a half-naked woman on the end of the pool cue. Don't you think? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Tammy's <laughs> sister Shelly is here. Jessalyn Gilsig. Yes. You guys might recognize her from Glee. I first fell in love with her on a show called Boston Public that I loved. She's a force. She's a talent. She is. It's another one of those characters that we do on FNL where they burst into a scene. You've never seen this person before. You don't know their name, but I know exactly who she is the moment she she steps into that scene. I'm going to be honest with you. There was so much high-pitched noise on the entrance. The girl squeals. It was ah, 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 ah. Yeah. girls screaming and Tammy's screaming and Shelly's screaming and Amy Teagarden screaming. I literally could make very little out of what they mm-hmm. were saying because when I hear all that lady screaming, I tune out. <laughs> it's true, guys. <laughs> there was one thing that I did notice, though, and that was Tammy was, she says something to Tammy about Tammy looking so good that you could bounce a quarter off her ass. But I will say that that is how you guest star. I mean, the way that Jessalyn Gilsig comes into this scene, it's really difficult. And we've talked about this before as a guest star, when you're coming on a show where characters are already established. And it's even worse when you're having to come on and play like a family member, because I've had to do that before, because you don't know these people. You've never worked with these people. Now, all of a sudden, there's supposed to be this camaraderie and the shorthand that you have with each other. There's also something that family and people that are in relationships do with each other, and that's that they touch, you hug, you you know what I mean? So it's very difficult. As I said, I've had to do it to come onto a show, and you're, you're number 30 on the call sheet. Yeah, and you're there with one and two. And you're like, hey, 
if we are brother and sister, mm-hmm. don't you think we'd hug? Because you can't just run in and like start hugging number one on the call sheet. That's how you get fired. You know? Right. Cheselyn is so good at coming in and being that, but it was also the reaction of Julie and Tammy and Coach. And Coach's yes. reaction was a yes. little bit different. And I'm like, I get this dynamic immediately because you're all doing the work. 100%. I can almost guarantee you, and we've had this conversation before, because I know that the first time I worked with Kyle, Kyle said, hey man, what do you need from me in this scene? And Kyle was very generous, but also what's our relationship? What's their relationship? And I think it's in the text what their relationship is. But on top of it, these guys all played it up. There's nothing that takes me out of a scene quicker than seeing two family members or two best friends that like don't know each other. They're not physical with each other. They don't hug. They don't They don't have a shorthand. They don't have like two buddies that, hey, he's my best friend. I didn't know you got married. Like, how how do you not know that if you're best friends? Or even all the time when they're like, I know we've talked about this before, but you don't do it as much as you think you do. When they're like, oh, hey, little sister, little sister, let's go over here. Hey, this is my little sister. And it's like, no, we get it. (laughs) You don't need that. I got it all from the way that everybody acted. I don't even know if I want to talk about it, but Santiago, I I just want to call him Benny. This Santiago chasing the pig around the pen made me so uncomfortable. That pig looked terrified. And I know that no animals were harmed, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't traumatized. And I'm just saying that I was not a fan. I hear you. I watched it seeing your note about that. You know what I think it was, Stacey? They put in a pig squealing sound afterwards. And that pig squealing going... That's what freaks you out. That made me so scared. Because we know that the pig isn't wired for sound. So we know that the pig wasn't actually making that noise. What if that pig was wired? (laughs) (laughs) They put a wire on him. We know that the pig wasn't actually making that noise, but when you watch it and you hear that pig squeal, I feel like that's how I am with my bulldog because she she doesn't want to be around me half the time. And I'm like, Lucy, come here. And I'm trying to grab her and hug her and squeeze her. This is true. And she runs away. Well, if there's other people in the house, she's more than happy to be around me. She loves me when there's other people around. Or if there's another dog around, if I'm rubbing on another dog, she comes over and she's immediately. But yeah, in general, Lucy's like, yeah, get away. Yeah, you know who else Lucy loves? Auntie Stacy. Stacy stayed at my place. When was it? I can't remember. You were out in LA for a week at some point and you stayed at my place and you left behind like a little blanket. And Lucy, yeah. my dog, laid on that blanket for a good week after Stacy left. And I was like, this is kind of pathetic. That's my baby girl. Anyway. All right. Guys, pigs are very smart. That's all I'm saying. We can move they on. Are. Coach Taylor is a very, very smart man. Don't you think he would have signed a contract to come back to work at Dillon? And wouldn't that contract have the salary on it? Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe, but then you wouldn't get this awesome scene with him and Buddy Garrity. So I'm going to take it and say, hey, we're getting a little dramatic license. And it also sets up this pretty interesting storyline where Coach is now going to have to be the athletic director at the school. So yeah, I don't mind it, but I think you're probably correct. Yes, Stacey. I feel like sometimes the logical side of my brain takes over and I need to shut it off. I love a like suspension of disbelief and I need to probably do it a little bit more. <laughs> but you know, we're doing a podcast. So I'm just saying. Well, I mean, speaking of suspension of disbelief, Tim is back from Mexico. The high school kid with no money who's been off gallivanting in Mexico for the past week has returned home. And here's something that was interesting. I think fans of the show will enjoy this. If you look closely at the lockers in the locker room, you can see the names Jay Reiner on one of the lockers. And on one of the other lockers, it says P. Berg. I didn't notice that. Yeah, a little shout out to Peter Berg, the show creator, and Jeffrey Reiner, our executive producer. Oh, I love that. On Grey's Anatomy, they do that on the surgery board. All the people that are listed to going into surgery are crew members. It's always so cute. Pretty much any show that's got a police office or almost every perp on the wall, you know, most wanted pictures. Mm -hmm. So Riggins coming back 
just Taylor Kitsch himself oozes charm. And I'm finding that Tim Riggins at his young age, I'm guessing now younger than Street, so maybe 17, has kind of learned his charm, gets him everything that he wants, but he's found his match in Coach Taylor. He says, is there at least one more chance? And it's like, no, Tim, you've met your match. Yeah, he's had a few chances. Wouldn't you say, Stace? One or two? Quite a few. I was thinking maybe like he thought there were like rollover chances, you know, like, oh, this is second season, there's new stuff going on. Maybe I get like more chances this oh, year. Oh, like cell phone minutes? Yeah, like cell phone <laughs> minutes, like rollover <laughs> chances. I just like Tim Riggins being like, oh, you're not buying my ridiculous handsome charm? That's weird. Yeah. This is uncomfortable for me. <laughs> and then we see Glenn. Glenn is back. My favorite thing about this scene was the camera pulls out of her office and in that waiting room, there are 30 kids and you know they were like, oh, Oh my God, we can't talk to Glenn anymore. Tammy's back. We're so excited. <laughs> the whole school's falling apart in the two weeks or three weeks that Glenn has been running the show. Oh, poor Glenn. It poor was Glenn. just like a tiny little millisecond, but it added so much to like Tammy being back and everything that had happened. Yeah. Great little scene there with the three of them too, because it's setting up some of that tension that there is a little jealousy there, I think, with Coach. And who's this Glenn? Glenn. Coach is not a fan yeah. of Glenn. <laughs> How do you hate Steve Walters? Look at that face. Come on. Yeah, right? Why in the world should this team, the Dillon Panthers, trust Buddy Garrity to bring in a new kid <laughs> as a player after what happened with he who shall not be named anymore because I'm not allowed to say it, but you know who I'm talking about. And also this kid has never played football. No, I mean, you're right. They should definitely not trust Buddy Garrity ever. I mean, I think just as a way of going through life, no one should trust Buddy Garrity. It's a good motto. But I will say, okay, I get where you're coming from, but Football is a skill game. You either have the skills or you don't. There was a guy named Jimmy Graham, or he is still in the NFL, actually, who was a straight-up phenom for the first, like, four or five years of his career. And he played tight end for only one year in college at the University of Miami. Go Hurricanes. Antonio Gates is also one of the greatest tight ends to ever play the game. Future Hall of Famer. Didn't play college football at all. But both Gates and Graham were college basketball stars. And I think it's safe to assume that the character of Hastings Ruckle that comes in season mm -hmm. five and Santiago are probably very loosely based off of Antonio Gates and also Hall of Fame tight end Tony Gonzalez, who was also a basketball player in college. Interesting. So there's this idea. I mean, football is a skill sport. So if you can run fast and you're strong, which Santiago is, we saw him bench pressing 275. He's squatting 315 multiple times. They clocked him at running a 4-7. All that's pretty solid for a high school kid. Mm -hmm. The only problem is he can't catch a cold and he knows nothing about football. <laughs> I would say that's a pretty big problem. It's a big problem. Put him on JV for a little bit. Well, here's the deal. Maybe he'll end up on defense. I don't know. We're going to have to see because that's usually what happens. If a guy can't catch, they usually put him on defense. Just hit some people. I honestly don't remember where Santiago ends up, what side of the football field he ends up on. I don't either. It seems like Tim takes him under his wing a little bit, so maybe yeah. that's where he goes. And yes, Buddy Garrity is untrustworthy, but he does no talent when he sees it. That's true. He's a good talent scout, but boy, oh boy, did they get in trouble before. Yes, yes. Sometimes he dips his foot into some pretty scary pools. Matt Saracen, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, Stacey. There's a new cheerleader, and her name is Lauren. She's played by Kim Smith, and she seems to have a little crush on Matt Saracen, mm -hmm. which is really cute. But it's also a bit of an obstacle for the uh, Julie and Matt get-together. I'm a much bigger fan of this than a Carlotta and a Matt. I like them being closer in age. I mean, we always talk about Riggins, but, like, Matt seems to be doing pretty well right now in his... Whatever, is this his junior year, sophomore year? Who'd see? We don't know. But Nobody hey, knows. QB1. Yeah, QB1. He's doing well for himself.
we kind of saw that this was going to happen very early on in that first scene with Shelly, that Coach was not a big fan necessarily, and she's already upset in the apple cart. Between the risque outfit she put Julie in and then the comment about Coach not having $100, I mean, the writing is literally on the wall. This is not going to end well, and FNL does such a great job of setting up the tension in these scenes. Because you can just see coaches like... (laughs) Kyle is so good at that, though, at playing an undertone of whatever it is with a smile on his face while he does it. But I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, it's a real skill set. Because, I mean, we as an audience, we know exactly where he's coming from and exactly how he feels in that moment. You handling a breast pump was... um... A lot. And then there were just like so many quotes I pulled out of this tiny little scene. You talk about squeezing testicles. Yes. And then probably I would say top three of my favorite Tim Riggins lines is now, I don't know what a sojourn is, ma'am. And this scene was kind of gold. This scene was really fun to shoot. It's one of those scenes where literally I'm like, Connie, stop laughing. Taylor, stop (laughs) laughing. And then I'd laugh. We could not keep a straight face in shooting it, especially with the breast pump. I mean, at the very start of the scene, just handling the breast pump, as you said, it's absurd. And then the two idiots, like, what kind of motors have gotten it? They're going to pull this thing apart, basically. Oh, yeah, it's got a twin turbine. I don't know what these idiots were thinking. But Tammy's like, that thing feeds my baby. Please get your dirty yes. Riggins hands off of it. <laughs> it was so awkward and so fun to shoot. And the three of us were literally laughing the whole entire time that we shot it. And if you look closely so and you go back and rewatch that scene, there's moments where Taylor is literally just smiling and trying not to laugh. Yeah, he does a little mouth cover. I don't think he does a mouth cover. I think he kind of looks away and doesn't realize it's a two shot and that he's actually in the frame of the camera because he's smiling, like grinning ear to ear. But he could not stop laughing in that scene. He could not stop. You're Uh, like, yeah, I'll go talk to Coach Taylor. And Tammy's like, there are bigger issues here. Like he's about to fail. You're not going anywhere yet. Yeah. All Billy cares about is that he gets back on the football team. He doesn't care about the school part. Oh, gosh. God bless Tammy. But I love these moments where Billy tries to be like the adult because it's always like he's acting. It's Billy act. Like what he know. thinks an adult is yes. supposed to be. Yeah, that's right. And he's nodding his head going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, what, what are you nodding your head for, Billy? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. I wonder if Billy knows what a sojourn is. <laughs> Probably not. Of course not. <laughs> okay, Julie, listen, Matt is right. I liked her coming in and admitting this. This was the Julie I love and I miss. And I think now that we have her dad back and this aunt that she adores, we get our yummy good Julie back again. I hope. I mean, I don't know what happens, but I'm hoping yummy good Julie is here to stay. We see her apologizing in this scene. She's breaking down and there's that part of me goes, you know what? I just forgive you. I forgive you, Julie, for all your season two transgressions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we got to get these two back together somehow. But I don't think it's going to happen in this episode. Not yet. I, on a personal level, which like we won't get into here, but I got street speech about feeling stuck in Dylan and like a fish in a fishbowl. This case, almost 19, he's so talented and so intellectual. And I find him to be so curious about life and about people. And this town that he's in now is so full of ghosts for him. I don't see any way for him to stay. He needs bigger things, I think. Would you even say that this is a devil town? Okay, actually, I was going to make fun of you, but that was pretty good. That was actually really good. (laughs) No, you're 100% right, though. As I said before, something happened to him when he was in Mexico. When he ends up on that beach, as I said, there's a rebirth that kind of happens. And you could see it on his face when he was coaching in that scene. His heart's just not in it anymore. And he's got one foot out the door. I 
think the only reason he came back is because coach wanted him to. But that's also something that's really special about what's going on with Street in this scene is that he's not going to try and please anybody else anymore. He's got to find what's right for him. That was part of the old Street. And there's just a plateau of what he can do and who he can be in this town. And he's hit it at 18. He's already hit everything he can do. Just hit me in my gut. Him like admitting that out loud. I was like, I totally get it. I don't want Scott Porter to leave because I want him in the show. But I'm like, Street needs to do bigger things. Yeah. And I think that this is probably the first time as an actor, if I'd have read that scene, I'd have been like, "Uh uh-oh, I think this means... They're going to write me off eventually. I'm getting written off. I think what good writers do is they don't try and force stuff. They let things naturally happen. And I think the natural transition for Street at this point in time is Dylan's not for him anymore. Mm -mm. If you take a kid who's been under all these circumstances and all these things that have happened to him, and he's got that moral fiber and that strength and that desire to want to do something with his life, then getting out of Dylan is probably what needs to happen. We'll see. It's just a lot in that speech. I tried to figure out what it was about Smash telling Tim Riggins that he's wasting his potential that hit harder than anybody else. Because a lot of people have essentially in one way or another told Tim Riggins that he's wasting his potential. Mm-hmm. But Smash saying it to him hit me in a different way. And I feel like it hit Riggins in a different way. It seems like these boys are so much more alike than they want to admit. Yeah. I think when you see a lot of yourself in someone, Mm. I know I do this. I'll meet people. I remember there was a friend of yours, Stacey. I can't remember the guy's name. Years ago, you were like, oh, you're going to like this guy a lot. He's a lot like you. And then I met him and I was like, I hate that guy. I have no idea who you're talking about. I can't remember either. But I remember meeting this person and being like, I hate that guy. And thinking, oh, you do hate that guy because you see a lot of yourself in that guy. And I think that there's a lot of smash in Tim. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They both have a lot of similarities, as you said. But I think, yeah, when it comes from smash, this person who's kind of been your arch nemesis, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term, it maybe hits a little harder. Because he's also complimenting him. That's the other thing, because a Smash is so full of ego, but he's like, oh, you're saying I have potential? That's yeah. that's big. No, good observation, Stace. Okay. Oof. You guys know I have not watched season two. I have goosebumps even right now thinking about it. I didn't know that Landry admitted it to his father. That scene shook my world. They're both so ridiculously talented. Jesse Plemons can do absolutely no wrong in storytelling. This scene absolutely blew my mind. I did not know it happened. It's just a brilliantly acted scene. Really well-written scene, too. Just the way everything kind of comes up. And we spoke about this storyline at the start of the season, obviously. It's obviously a very contentious storyline and a lot of controversy surrounding it among fans of the show. And what we did speak about very early on is that, I mean, this scene with Jesse and Glenn is just brilliantly acted. God, it's so good. And I mean, for this scene and this scene alone, I would say, that's why you don't skip season two. There it is, guys. Back. There it is. Also, just so cathartic that finally Landry gets this off of his shoulders. And I think as an audience, we were like, oh, oh thank God. Yeah. He doesn't have to hold this in anymore. And then we go to, okay, again, did not see this coming. He gets in the car. Obviously, there's a little part of us that maybe thinks he's driving him to the police station. But we end up in mm-hmm. this pit. They light that car on fire. And the only thing I could think of is like, I can't think of a bigger showing of a father's love to a son. He's a cop and he's doing this for his son. Holy mother. It's a lot. Because then you think about all the potential trouble that Glenn Moore showered. Jesse's dad could potentially be in for covering this up. 
And Glenn just underplays everything so well, and it gives it so much more weight to everything he's doing. God, sometimes I love Marsha so damn much. But as you said, it's a father's love. Yeah. We've discussed this ad nauseum on this show. I think we already discussed it on this specific episode, but characters doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. And this is another one of those moments. Every one of us out here has somebody in our lives that we would do that same thing for. Absolutely. I don't want you to kill somebody, but I'll probably help you bury the body. Would you really? You're going to help me bury a body? Dependent, but probably with you. We'll talk after the show because there's some stuff. Sure, sure, talk. sure. I got to say. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Again, things Stacy didn't know about this show. Eleni Hubuck is on our show. One episode. I love her. I love her so <laughs> much. Here she plays Bobby, the soccer coach. She's currently killing it in Euphoria right now. I first fell in love with her in Beekman's World when I was like a kid. Also, she's on West Wing for one. I love her. She's a very talented actress. Really interesting story about this part. And and I don't know why this part, it popped up and it was in one episode and then it never comes back. And it seemed like they were kind of introducing this character that was going to kind of be around and be like a burn coach's proverbial ass for the rest of the season. And it just never came back. And it may have been one of those things, once again, with the writer's strike, a lot of things changed. But I do know this. Rosie O'Donnell, the Rosie O'Donnell, was like a huge fan of Friday Night Lights and was constantly promoting and talking about the show on her show because at that point in time, she still had her daytime talk show. And originally, this part was written for Rosie O'Donnell. Derek, I remember that. Yeah. During season three on our break, I went to go perform on a cruise ship. It was the Rosie O'Donnell family cruise and she mm-hmm. and I did Chicago together, oh, wow. the musical. And she, oh, it was a Friday Night Lights. And I remember her telling me she was going to come play a coach on the show, but she couldn't because of scheduling. I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, because yeah, that part was written for her. Oh, wow. Jason Kadams actually wrote that part for her. That might've been part of the reason why it never came back because it was specifically written for Rosie and it might have been a last minute decision to hire Alana. Rosie was so upset that she couldn't come to it. I had completely forgotten about that. I also got really seasick dancing in four inch heels on a cruise ship. So that part was fun. A lot of things happened on this show, guys, after the writer's strike. And I think that the writers basically just hit the reset button when it came to season two. We'll discuss that in more depth, obviously, when we get to season three. Yeah, there is a big shift that happens between two and three tonally. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have to say, here we go again. What this show does so well, boy, playing the game of football because they love it. Just Texas forever, man. The tail end of this scene is just really, really beautiful. We've talked about it ad nauseum once again about the Texas being the 12th man. And this is just another one of those moments. You cannot get a sunset like that. You don't get magic hour like that in Los Angeles. You don't. I mean, sunsets are wonderful in Los Angeles, but it's not the same. Did you notice the like big red moon that was behind Glenn and Landry when they were lighting the car on fire? Yeah. It was gorgeous. Yeah. That pit that they lit the car on fire in, by the way, I'm almost positive is the same pit that we shoot a scene in in season three with Joey Oglesby, who plays Guy Raston and I. Seems like they always go to that pit when there's something bad that's about to happen. But yeah, we meet up with Guy Raston's character to sell copper wire and things go south. The pit of despair. The pit of despair. Dylan's pit of despair. But yeah, that scene at the very end, it's such perfect Friday night lights moment. Yeah. Get to see all those guys together and just the love of the game as we've talked about before. And it also leaves us on a little bit of a positive note because Tim says to coach like, hey coach, am I going to be back on the team? And he goes, not even close or something like that. There's maybe a hint of a glimmer of a chance. Yeah, I think there was a little tinge of a smile on coach's face. So I think that that bodes well for Tim. It means maybe 
maybe he'll be back on the team, but we've also seen, you know, coach in previous seasons, especially with like Smash and the steroid incident. You may be back on the team, but you may not like what you're going to have to go through to get back on the team. That's true. There may be some hoops to jump through for Tim, but yeah, beautiful shot at the very end of that episode with the sun setting and that airplane just flying. So good. So tactic. And as we've talked about before, we actually shot right next to Austin Berg's from airport. So a lot of airplanes. And the landing strip right there. Too. And the landing strip, which is named the landing strip because... Because of the airport. Because the airport's right by. Guys, we're like halfway into season two. That's it for us this time. But join us next time for episode seven entitled Pantherama. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't, can't lose. lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, clearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.